This is We Are Netflix, Netflix employees talking about work and life at Netflix. Danny and Doug, my walkie-talkie is busted, so I had to write this note instead. I heard you launched a Stranger Things pop-up bar at your Logan Square location. Look, I don't want you to think I'm a total wasteoid, and I love how much you guys love the show. Just wait until you see season two. But unless I'm living in the upside down, I don't think we did a deal with you for this pop-up. No, that's not a fan letter. It's actually the beginning of an official cease and desist notice sent by Netflix lawyers to a pair of Chicago bar owners who'd unwittingly infringed on our Stranger Things franchise. If it sounds nothing like a typical cease and desist letter, that's because Netflix doesn't have a typical legal department. Innovative is how Netflix chief counsel David Hyman describes the company's approach to legal matters. Instead of blindly following tradition, it's all about finding new and better ways to do things. So, for example, why get all heavy-handed in reminding some Stranger Things fans that they need Netflix's permission to use its intellectual property, when you can get the job done without a lot of legalese in a way that's friendly and even fun? I'm Lyle Troxell, and on this episode of We Are Netflix, a conversation with David Hyman about legal at Netflix. David knows that subject better than anyone. He was our first and only lawyer when he joined the company 18 years ago. Now he leads a team of more than 650 people. He'll talk about the changes he's seen at Netflix, about fostering creativity and innovation in legal affairs, about how to realistically assess risks, about the core values that guide him and his team, and more. We'll begin at the beginning, when David came to Netflix in 2002 from the dot-com startup Webvan. Uh, Webvan went bankrupt at the end of uh, 2001, so 2002, I'm looking for a job. There's this uh, headhunter that I had working with me, and he said there's a job in Los Gatos. There's this company that delivers DVDs through the mail, what they used to call the B2C play, um, and I enjoyed dealing with the consumer side of things. So I said, yeah, maybe I'll go. So I came down here, and and I met with Reed and, and a bunch of other folks, and just was really impressed by both the vision of what the company was wanting to achieve and just it was a fun to be in the entertainment space. Yeah. Um, and so I ended up jumping on. And, you know, at that point, I would say we thought about the digital delivery of content as coming one day, hmm. but that was pretty far off. And the idea that we would actually be a producer of content on our own was not really within the the realm of possibility at the time. And we were, you know, we were a small domestic company. You know, the biggest challenge we had was blockbuster video at the yeah. time. Um, now, now, Ted was there at that time, right? Yep. Ted okay. Was he thinking about making movies at that point? I think if you even asked Ted, no. Interesting. At that point. At that yeah. point in time, we were mostly about distribution. I mean, Ted loves movies and he's, you know, I'm sure he... If you asked him, Ted would say, you know, his ultimate dream was to be a uh, an owner of a small movie theater somewhere and yeah. run, you know, old indie films. So he's, you know, passionate about it. And part of the reason we're in it now is because of that passion. But right at that point in time, I'm not sure he thought about it as that's the possibility. Let me catch people up that don't work here. Ted Sarandos, of course, our head of content uh, creation. Um, and Reed Hastings is the CEO and founder, one of the founders. Okay. All right, so that's your kind of transition to here. And I thought one of the, the things that I find really interesting is that when you did start working for Netflix, you were the first lawyer. And for quite a while, you were the only lawyer on staff. Yeah. So now I look at your org chart and you've got like, I don't know, 650 people working for your organization. So it's a little <laughs> different. <laughs> yes, what it would have been different. like to do that transition? 
Well, it's funny because it's been um, such a journey in going, you know, over the past 18 years to developing it. And really the growth since probably around 2014 has been, you know, almost exponential. You know, it's, it's mind-blowing in some ways, but it's also, you know, we've seen it happening across the company at that time. So it's not such a surprise. Right, right. Um, and a lot of it, you know, the majority of the growth has been around the creation of the content space. Yeah. You know, when we first started, it was like, selling cars. We were just a, a dealership selling cars. Now we've moved to actually manufacturing cars. So if you think of all the infrastructure and all the complexity associated with actually building a car and then delivering it, that's what we're doing now. And so we need a lot more lawyers to help deal with all the issues that arise in the production of movies. Globally. Yeah, globally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, it, it's not merely just in the U.S., it's across the globe. I mean, one of the great things about Netflix is this ability to have a global platform and take stories from, the, you know, around the globe, find them, enable those storytellers to make their own stories, and then distribute them globally. So in this growth from yourself to 650 people working on this, these problems um, in your org, what's been the biggest challenge of that growth? I think the biggest challenge for us as we've grown the org from you know, one to over 650 is really about planning. Netflix is such a dynamic environment that to be able to predict and plan what your resources needs are is challenging. And so you're constantly having both to look around the corner to see what's out there, but also kind of restrain yourself from meeting that right away because it may shift again. People ask me what it's like to work at Netflix and how are, you know, do you be successful? And I'll say I think the biggest characteristic for success at Netflix is being flexible because the business is always changing, the resources to support that business are always changing, and therefore you as an individual have to be flexible um, in how you approach that. In some instances, that's not the right place for people because they like to have structure, they like to know what is around that corner. For us, if you like to address new and oftentimes situations of first impression, then Netflix is a great place because you've got to be curious and willing to try new things. Yeah. And that's been, I think, a challenge both for me, uh, you know, kind of personally and professionally to be able to manage a team in that regard mm -hmm. and then also build out a team. Uh, last year, you delivered an orientation address to the class of 2021 at your alma mater, University of Virginia School of Law. And in this talk, you brought up something I think a lot about with regards to lawyers. As an engineer and stuff, normally when I'm chatting with lawyers, we talk about risk. Risk seems to be the thing that is kind of driving the thought process. And it's almost like synonymous to me about what lawyers do. So to me, that talk was, and what you talked about in that talk is like not getting hypervigilant in risk or not really looking at risk in kind of a different way. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Talk about sure. That. It's interesting because I think, you know, both from a personality standpoint and from a training standpoint, you know, I think uh, l lawyers and people who end up in the, the legal profession are often more anxious and, uh, you know, kind of cautious. Uh, and therefore, when they go to schools and the school teaches them to identify risks and to address risks, that's uh, just right up their alley. And then they go out into the working world and what they're doing is um, seeing all the risks that are out there. And they, one, don't have the 
ability to see the opportunities necessarily as clearly. And also they don't have a real good framework for assessing the actual values of the risks, right? Because not all risks are created the same. Some are going to be catastrophic and some are just going to be little bumps in the road. And I think for us at Netflix, one of the key attributes for a successful member of the legal team is really to be able to assess risk. Um, and to be able to help guide the business and be a partner to the business on assessing that risk. So assessing, not avoiding. Correct. Okay, interesting. And in fact, we, you know, a lot of what we talk about with the team is about uh, reality-based decision-making is a little catchphrase that I use for um, talking about risk because it's easy for a lawyer to read a statute. It's easy for a lawyer to read a contract. It's harder for a lawyer to know how that contract or, or that statute are actually interpreted or implemented or likely to be interpreted and implemented. And I think it's that latter part that we get paid to do for the company. Mm-hmm. Um, oftentimes, you know, if you've been trained at a law firm or if you're coming out of law school, you know, you give the on the one hand and on the other hand, which is uh, if you go down that path, here's all the risks I see. If you get on this path, here's the, you know, the, the outcomes that I see. You kind of let the you, client decide. Yeah, and you yeah. say, what do you want to do? Right. Um, and I feel like for us at Netflix, what makes us um, valuable and is a sort of an integral part of the business is that we make those decisions um, for the business. Uh, so it's, it's not that we would present the one hand or the other. It is we will tell them what we think is the way to go. Interesting. That means you have to have a lot of context around the purposes of those things you're diving into, right? Correct. Yeah. So you're really, the staff you've got are fully embedded throughout the company as much as possible to be partners to the decision-making process. Yeah, I think it's a combination of really understanding the business yeah. and then also understanding the real world. The lawyers and and the legal professionals that form the legal team really have to be familiar with what's going on in the business because they've got to understand the context in which people are operating. And then they have to take that and apply it to what they see in the real world. And both of those require a high level of curiosity and an extremely, I would say, developed sense of um, EQ Mm -hmm. um, to be able to both elicit information from people and engage with people and be part of a team. EQ, of course, is emotional quotient. <laughs> yes, the emotional <laughs> Emotional quotient. intelligence, what yes. we call it. Yeah. Um, to be able to, to really be a trusted partner, to be an active listener, and to be a problem solver. Yeah. I think the team does an outstanding job of that. I think that's, um, at least for me, one of the accomplishments, I would say, when you listed off all those things that yeah. people are doing, and I'm not doing a lot of that stuff. One of the things that I do as the general counsel is try to make everybody work better together, and I try to make everybody think about risk in a pragmatic, practical way, and to help the business uh, achieve the goals that it wants to achieve. I want to talk a little bit about our core values at Netflix, because it feels to me, maybe it's not one of the core values, but the cultural perspective that I'm kind of embedded with as an engineer is that feel free to take smart risks, um, you know, have some courage on things, move quickly, you know, resolve issues fast. That's the kind of the methodology we kind of have about the work we do, which is not about being careful, right? Careful is not necessarily in there. I mean, of course, we have to have good judgment. That's one of our core values of really good judgment. Of course, if you make a really bad mistake. It's true it's not being careful, but it's also that you made bad judgment. So for you on these core values, which one of these is challenging from the eye of a lawyer, if you will? 
And that's like judgment, communication, curiosity, courage, passion, selflessness, innovation, inclusion, integrity, and impact. And yes, I am reading those. (laughs) Remembers them all. You know, it's funny. I would say that the the hardest one really is going back to that courage. For those of you who want to look at the culture memo, you'll see that within each of those core values are a bunch of smaller bullet points. And if I recall correctly, because I am not mm, reading it, mm. that um, courage, one of the real values is about taking smart risks. Right. Um, and that's the one. I mean, that going back to what we were just talking about, um, and this is probably the value between this and curiosity are the two core values that I think are most important, at least for our team, is being able to take on those smart risks yeah. and to be innovative around that. I mean, that's the that's the curiosity part about it, which is it might not be about taking a risk. It might be about mitigating a risk, but yeah. mitigating a risk in a way that is helping the business achieve what it wants to achieve. Right. So that's, again, going back to what you were talking about, which is you got to be close to the business. You got to be embedded because you got to understand what the business wants to achieve. Um, or your partner or whoever it is. It's not necessarily the overall business, but you know the, the client that you're supporting. So you really have to understand that deeply because then you can come to them and say, well, wait a second, you know, you want to go down Avenue A. Um, Avenue A is filled with a bunch of risks. I don't think we should take those risks. Um, but I've got Avenue B, which I think, have you thought about it doing this way? Which I think is like one of the best things about being in-house and where I oftentimes think about uh, the legal department versus other departments. I, I try not to think about us as a legal team as opposed to part of the Netflix team. And so what I want uh, the people that are part of our team is to be able to engage with the business and actually, you know, kind of think like the engineer if you're supporting mm. the engineering team. Think like a marketer if you're supporting the marketing team. Think like a creative if you're supporting uh, the content team. And, you know, come to them with their ideas. There's this um, interconnectedness because if the teams that we're supporting don't look at us as merely lawyers, then we have lots more freedom to engage with them across a broader spectrum of things. Like, you know, you can see people who work on um, the IP team and are reviewing scripts, you know, they can actually have ideas for making uh, the show better. Um, wait, wait, wait. And it, you Seriously? Know, yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, you can, you can think IP, about that. IP, of course, that. stands for intellectual property. And, of course, this is a very important thing when we're creating new content that we actually own the content right off the bat. So you have to kind of be involved in that the entire time. So you're writing a script and the lawyer on that team is actually helping? Yeah. He can be, think about it or he or she can be um, engaged in, what you know, like a script review, right? Yeah, yeah. So in essence, that is, okay, like an exercise in risk identification. And again, going back to this reality-based decision-making is as they go through these things, they got to figure out, okay, well, what kind of risks can I take and what can't I take? Mm-hmm. Um, and in that process, you know, they're reading the script. Okay, if they see something that's funky, they can actually, you know, understand the script and try to make suggestions about mitigating certain risks that might arise from reading the script. But at the same time, if they've got a good relationship and good rapport with the, the creatives that they're dealing with and the productions that they're dealing with, ideas can flow beyond just the legal team. And yeah. I think people at Netflix respect that. And it's it's a cross-collaborative arrangement. We try not to say, well, that's not my job. That's not one of the things we do. Like, everybody can participate at what level they're engaged in. Oh, yeah. That's like the worst if you say, it's not my job. Yeah, I mean, no. Especially if it's something that you, uh, you, when you don't want to do something, you right, say, right. hey, that's not my job. Right. Yeah, that, if, that, if that's the kind of place, no. Don't no, no, but also, it also represents like, hey, but out of this, that's not your job. That's also not said, right? There's this idea that we're all trying to do good work together. So yeah, I, I, I think like, if you find people, you know, that's one of the other things about Netflix I think is, is great is... Um, 
you know, the transparency and, and the ability to sort of understand the business more broadly. But that also leads into this whole notion around curiosity and cross collaboration. And you don't have identified swim lanes in yeah. which you necessarily, if you go out of that, the person on the other swim lane is going to be mad at you. Um, you know, you may need something, some, some demarcation so you know where your responsibility ends and someone else's begins. But we're all very collaborative across that. As we've been talking, one of the things you mentioned is an innovation. What is your legal team innovating on? What, what are they doing that's, that's different than maybe other places that's new? You know, there's some great examples of innovation around process and sort of elimination of process and making things simpler. Just trying to address some of the policies that we have at Netflix and, and coming at them from what I will say is a Netflix perspective. Let's talk about one as you an know, example. So let's, let's take our employment letter, for example. If you go to um, some companies about our employment letter, it's like, you know, five to 15 pages long. This is, this is the offer letter. This is the offer letter. Yeah, uh-huh. The offer letter. And, and we try to make, you know, it's, it's interesting because we've talked about this, again, thinking about the way in which you interact with the different teams is, you know, the legal team works with the talent and the talent acquisition team. And we're like, look, this offer letter is like the first impression of a new employee's view of um, Netflix. And if the first thing they get is going to be something full of legalese that's and hard to parse. 15 pages, yeah. that says something, right? Yeah. That says something. And that was basically like the, the legal team's presentation to the uh, the talent team, because they don't really care about it. They're like, oh, what do I have to do? I've got to get something. And I think we were very collaborative about that. So if you look at our offer letter, you'll see it's like a page and a half long, and that's it. Um, and it's pretty much written in very plain English text. In my mind, that's innovating. So let's talk about plain language text or even fun text. Uh, quite a while ago, I think uh, a couple years ago, there is a pop-up bar in Chicago's Logan Square area, and they were using Stranger Things theme. And would you read this letter uh, that, that <laughs> sure. your team sent to these two people that are running this pop-up? Sure. So for, for those of you who don't know, cease and desist letters are typically really legalistic, and you send them off to people to tell them to stop doing something. Half the times they're ignored. You sometimes feel like you have to send them because you got to either preserve a right, or sometimes you send them because talent wants, uh, wants something to be done about or you're doing, you know, some, some, somebody else wants you to take an action. Um, and so in this instance, there was this pop-up bar and they were using uh, Stranger Things and it, it wasn't authorized. Um, so we, we chose to send them this letter. Uh, Danny and Doug, my walkie-talkie is busted, so I had to write this note instead. I heard you launched a Stranger Things pop-up bar at your Logan Square location. Look, I don't want you to think I'm a total wasteoid, and I love how much you guys love the show. Just wait until you see season two. But unless I'm living in the upside down, I don't think we did a deal with you for this pop-up. You're obviously creative types, so I'm sure you can appreciate that it's important to us to have a say in how our fans encounter the world we build. We're not going to go full Dr. Brenner on you, but we ask that you please, one, not extend the pop-up bar beyond its six-week run ending in September, and two, Reach out to us for a permission if you plan to do something like this again. Let me know as soon as possible that you agree to these requests. We love our fans more than anything, but you should know the Demogorgon is not always as forgiving. So please don't make us call your mom. 
So it's great, right? I mean, that, of course, hit the news, and it was a very popular kind of, look how cool Netflix is at even doing this kind of thing, right? It's a technical document that says, stop using our IP, right? It's, it's, I wouldn't say it's a threat, but they can definitely perceive it as a threat, right? If you don't do this, we're going to do something else. But this is very much friendly, you know, hey. And we didn't terminate their thing right away. We said, keep doing the pop-up for the duration. Why do you make those decisions? Who made those decisions? So this is a great example of both innovation and a value that we have around here called context, not control. You know, the idea at Netflix is really to empower people across the company to make decisions. You know, we have this uh, concept of freedom and responsibility, and freedom and responsibility is really you push down the responsibility to folks in the business, and you give them the freedom to exercise um, and make the right choices, and they don't have to go up and get things approved. And you just give them the context in which to operate. And so here, this was brought up by the IP team. They decided it was actually one individual, and he decided to take this approach to it because he knew that the classic way of dealing with it was, you know, ineffective. And if anything, it makes companies look really bad. Yeah. Right? They look like the big company coming to squash somebody. Why do that, right? Um, And you can get the message across in such a better way. So Bryce, who was uh, putting this together took it upon himself to, to send this out. And One of your staff, just yeah. who's responsible. A lawyer kind on the of, team. Really? Yeah. Did he work with somebody else on the creative team to kind of go through it, or did he know the show well enough to just write it? Bryce is a, is a brilliant lawyer and also a very creative type. Yeah. Um, and so I think this was, you know, a great example of how we can unleash within the people on the legal team uh, creative juices that they have. Yeah, and innovative um, too, yeah. right? Yeah, and being so, innovative. That's, I mean, creativity and innovation, same thing. So this staff member decided to, to send this out as a way to, to address the issue, and that wasn't approved by anybody else. Like, he just did it? Yeah, he just did okay. it. Did you, when did you find out about it? Did you show that you're, he was doing it, or did you find out about the news like I did? I think I found out about it in the news. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. <laughs> yes. All the cease and desist letters don't run by me, but I think it was, it was great. It yeah. was. I mean, yeah. it was truly, um, and it's been used as a great example of, of how we can enable the team to be more innovative. Yeah. Right? I, I just, I, and I his still former find... employer, he would never have been able to do this. Right. In most companies, not so much. Yeah. That might be changing. We might have an impact in that regard. Um, I think that that, yeah, it's very different, giving that kind of autonomy to individuals in most spaces that we sit across the company. But it seems like the one place we wouldn't see it would be your org. But I guess, you know, all of the, the judgment calls that you have to make are still just judgment calls, right? They're, 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 there's no right answer with regard to law, right? There's interpretation and judgment. It's all, that's what it's about. I would say, look, there are certain black and white, you know, things that you've got to abide by. And, and most of those, at the end of the day, are... Um, makes sense that people don't want to do that, right? You know, in, in, in many instances, the law makes sense. It's areas where we're innovating, where it's uh, unclear, there's ambiguity, and that's where the judgment comes in and mm-hmm. it's judgment calls. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, and, and, and figuring out ways to, to manage that risk. How do you feel about, I mean, you've been here a long time, so obviously you've kind of embraced it, but how do you feel about this, this avoidance of rules kind of methodology we have for our staff? Do we, have we, has it backfired on us? We haven't had any issues with the fact that the processes and rules at Netflix are limited. This notion of transparency and openness for all, you ask anyone and they think you're crazy to have such a level of transparency. Um, And, you know, for me, it's like, again, going back to risk, it's like, 
you can say there's going to be a whole host of bad things that come out, and that's the easy way to get around it. The harder way is to say, hey, let's trust the people that we're working with, and let's see if anything happens. Mm-hmm. Let's go down that path. And, and most- today, nothing's happened. You know, we've I mean, had, had we've had you know we've had some minor um, uh, I, I'll call it leaks, but relative to the stuff that matters, like the sensitive information around quarterly performance or um, other issues, which is public to all the staff. Yeah, which yeah. is public to the staff is has has not leaked, and we really impress upon people it's such a privilege, and I think. It's that because the people who come here, they do, they understand that it's such a privilege to do that and it, and it, the you, community respects it. Are you assessing the valuability of it though? It's very hard to put a, a picture on how valuable it is that I can go and find out what the numbers are for all the shows this week or whatever, right? Things that aren't exactly part of my job, but I might be curious about and therefore I care about the business more. There's, there's some value in that, but since there's so much risk as we have, I don't know, 6,000, 8,000, 9,000 employees, something like that. It seems to me that there's a point where that the risk just gets larger and larger and maybe it, it won't make sense. Are you always assessing that as an as exec yeah, team? Yeah, we're constantly assessing that. Um, but I would say to date, when people say there's all that risk associated with it, there hasn't, you know, that, that's like, okay, it, it's again, the parade of horribles. But as a practical matter, we have not seen that. But I'm not talking about the risk specifically because there's a little bit of risk, obviously. I could go and make a blog entry and do something stupid and talk about our numbers publicly, which yeah, we're not people can always, do. That's, that's always, right. you know, the biggest issue is people doing stuff that's stupid. Right, right. right. And of course, the consequence would be I do the company, but there's risk. But the question is, that little bit of risk that does exist, is that much smaller? I mean, is there a lot of benefit happening to all of the individual employees in having that transparency? Like, how do we assess what benefit it is to be so transparent? So, the, it, you know, it's, it's again, uh, because you're the engineer, you're looking for the equation that shows that out there. <laughs> um, I feel like this is one of those where we have a real deep belief that transparency across the business is uh, important. The way to go. Yeah. yeah, is important to empowering people. And we see that in, I, I think we see that in our continued innovation. Um, we see that in the continued engagement of our employees. And, you know, when you ask employees about it, I think that's where you hear it's such a different culture. And it, the other thing that I think it does create, which you know you hear from people who join, I've been here for so long, I don't know what life was like before it, is um, the lack of like politics that gets involved. You know, because in many places, information is power. If you're on the distribution list, then that's somehow um, uh, powerful. Um, and then you can withhold information, you can don that upon other people, and it creates a, a dynamic that I think is extremely unhealthy. Um, and that is something that we don't have here. And I think a lot of that is driven by the fact that we have a transparent uh, orientation and it creates, you know, all sorts of extra benefits, at least I think we perceive as a company yeah. um, and as a management team. So it's more of a core value of our company, not a assessment balance. It really is. Yeah, it's like, a fundamental there's belief. so much benefit that it's hard to think of. It, the company would be a very different thing if we didn't have it. Therefore... That's not the company we are. That's yeah. kind of the way we think about it. And look, it. as we change, so the, the other thing to just think about is, look, the access to information, and we, as we grow, we do change uh, and we do adjust things. Um, we're not dogmatic about sure, it. We're sure. pragmatic yeah, about it. Yeah. I want to talk about the the cultural competence issue of, we, we have people all over the world now. I had a wonderful episode uh, of this show a while ago talking about public policy and business development in Europe uh, with one of your staff. And... In that, I realized how important it is for people to actually understand the culture they're working in. And now that we have a global company, how's your org making sure that that's happening? The growth of Netflix is, you know, over the next five to 10 years is largely outside the United States. 
and we are still largely a U.S.-oriented company. And I think that's one of our big challenges um, ahead of us is to become a much more globally sensitive company. I think the, the way in which we do that is a, is a combination of things. Um, one is which we need more international employees, and we are expanding uh, in our international markets. And then we need more cultural competence. And, you know, we have one of these uh, core values of inclusion. And, and I think part of that inclusion is really taking into account diverse global perspectives. And we've got to learn about those diverse global perspectives. So we do a number of things along that line, one of which, for example, I spent two years living in Amsterdam uh, when we first opened up our EMEA operations. And that was extremely enlightening for me in the sense of being able to understand better uh, what it's like to operate in an international office and as well as getting a more sensitive around uh, the cultural differences of both operating in the market as a, as a business, but also with the employee base. And we've done that with a number of our executives and others in the company to send them out overseas to get more experience. I think the other thing that we're doing is because not everybody can go live overseas is be more thoughtful about the international perspective. Uh, we've done things just like bringing in speakers to talk about what it's like to work as a expat or as to work for a, an international company, mm -hmm. um, to talk about different cultures. Uh, there's a book by Aaron Meyer out there called The Culture Map, which has been very influential for me and as I think also for my team in understanding what it's like to work with people from different cultures. Mm -hmm. And so really spending time thinking about um, what it's like to do business in those countries, what it's like to be an employee there, and what it's like to be more culturally aware and culturally sensitive. Mm -hmm. well, so the two years you spent in, do you have family? I did. Did I move with you? And yeah, everybody? we took everybody over there, including the dog. <laughs> That's great. Um, and you did that really just to, to understand the business from that perspective, right? Like that, that was the purpose? There were two purposes. Okay. One is because we were opening up an office um, and we have a sort of a unique culture is to bring, I was the Netflix cultural ambassador to the new employees over there. You set the tone and the space and, and all that. Yeah. yeah. And okay. then I, uh, I was also, you know, kind of the, the guinea pig for understanding and being a more global executive. When you say global, of course, we don't always talk about all the different offices we have, but we have a Sao Paulo office in Brazil. We have, of course, an Amsterdam office. Um, I think London and a few other places. Singapore, Singapore, of course, yes. Seoul, right. Tokyo. But this represents um, our ability to hire people in those areas to work with us yep. so that we represent the people that are are enjoying our service, right? Um, I, I get that. I'm, I feel like one of the things you touched upon there that we're an, an American-focused company, if you will, how, besides focusing our own skills on that, how what other tactics are we going to use to try to break that from our the way we operate. I mean, isn't some of our culture deck actually kind of an American hat feel to it? It's interesting to say, because one of the things we always talk about about the culture deck is a lot of people ask, well, how as you grow, as you grow internationally, are you going to preserve the culture? And typically the response to that is we don't seek to preserve the culture. We seek to grow and to change the culture um, so that it meets the needs that we have going forward. And that's one of the things about being a more global company is that some of the values that we have may strike them as very 
I would say, you know, Western, very U.S. focused. And we're constantly thinking about how to, to manage those in those environments. We, we fundamentally think that a lot of the values are universal, but maybe in their application, they're slightly different. So you wouldn't say anything uh, behind somebody's back that you wouldn't say to them uh, in their face. You want, we want candor. Candor yeah. is a value for us. Well, the way in which, you know, candor may appear in um, the Netherlands may be very different than the way it appears in Japan. And that same value of candor is important. We just need to be able to figure out how that that shows up in that marketplace and to make sure that when we talk to people about candor in Japan, we're talking about it in a way that's culturally relevant for them. Yeah. And that's the, to your point, that's when we need to bring in people that we're hiring in uh, Tokyo to help us understand, okay, we agree with the value at its core, but its application may be slightly different. And you could see that shift such that we take on things that come from other areas, if you will, outside the, the U.S., and start changing the culture. Have you already seen that happen as well? I, I would say one of the, the expansions, you know, inclusion was not in our um, culture deck, say, four years ago. Right. But that's been something that as we've seen as we've grown as a company and as we've seen kind of the need to have that as a core value in order to both grow as a company and to be, you know, kind of a better company overall, that became a core value for us. And that includes everything from, you know, kind of diversity and inclusion initiatives in the U.S. to also what I was talking about, about bringing people's perspectives from outside. And I think fundamentally being able to have that mindset of openness to other people's perspectives is what's going to be helpful for us to be a global company and take on that challenge, yeah. really, of growing outside of the United States. Can you tell me some of the challenges that we do face that you're thinking about right now? Like, what what, what keeps you up at night, or what do you kind of hmm. know that is going to be something you have to focus a lot of time on? I think there are really two issues that um, I spend a bunch of time on. Um, one is on the kind of in my wheelhouse, which is uh, regulatory and public policy. As we're growing as a global company, as the internet delivery of video becomes more the paradigm for the delivery of entertainment, you're seeing a whole shift in the way the regulatory landscape views media and entertainment. You know, historically, media and entertainment have been heavily regulated. They're usually the terrestrial broadcasters or cable operators. But now with it coming over the internet, there's a whole host of rules and regulations that are shifting to address that. And that's incumbent upon us to make sure that that regulators understand more deeply the business they're thinking of regulating. And it's not that we're trying to stave off regulation. It's that we really are spending time to educate legislators and regulators around the globe about what Netflix, what internet delivery of video means. Because many times they don't have as deep a perspective uh, as we do. And, And we can also give them a better idea of what's coming down the pike and in the future. And so that's a big challenge for us. And we don't want uh, legislators to create policy that doesn't actually match really well what's happening because then you get in that that ambiguity space where you're like, I don't even know how this law would be applied because it's not clear. It doesn't understand the business model really well or doesn't understand how the technology works. That kind of thing is what you're trying to... Yeah, there's that, but there's also, I mean, just trying to fundamentally understand the 
the, the problem that the regulator is trying to address and making sure that the solutions that they think to fit that problem really match the reality and are going to achieve that. Because yeah. the worst case scenario, I mean, you've got one where there's an ambiguous regulation. Then there's the other one, which is it may not be as ambiguous, but it actually isn't going to address the issue that they're trying to solve. The side effect isn't the one they're exactly. looking for. Exactly. There's yeah. all these unintended consequences mm-hmm. is the, you know, is the buzzword around, hey, if you go down this path, you're actually going to not achieve what you want. You may actually achieve something wrong. It, was there and then I was going to say, yeah. the only, only second thing is we're just talking about growing and global. I mean, that's, that's probably uh, the where second I spend thing yeah, yeah. A, a lot of my time thinking about is how does my team scale? How does my team grow to become more thoughtful about international? Um, you know, as we bring on new people, how do we bring them on in a way that validates the culture, but also lets enough room for us to grow that culture at the same time? So... One of those growth aspects is just getting more people in the different areas that we're, we're landing, if you will. How, what are, who are you looking for? What kind of, I'm assuming you're looking for lawyers mostly. I mean, you need people that have a deep understanding of the law. What, what are you looking for these people? I'd say, look, we're looking across the board. So it's not just lawyers. Um, you know, the, the team is 650 people. I would say probably a half of them. Um, are lawyers, but the other half, and actually a big growing part of that, are um, just legal professionals. Mm-hmm. I would say that the big area of growth for us continues to be in the content development space. So production, all things related to that. So we've got lots of opportunities for people, uh, both in the U.S. and as well as in our international markets, people who are coming in to do everything from you know the music side of the house to the physical production side of the house to the transactional side of dealing with content. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, we've got a host of other issues around policy. So the policy team is also building out that the policy team has basically doubled in the last year and probably will continue a, a, a pretty hefty growth rate as we expand into these uh, these additional countries. Remind us what policy is. So policy would be both the, the folks who are keeping track of what each of the governments around the globe are doing in areas of regulation of media and entertainment, tax. Those are the people who are on the kind of the front line of dealing with the new regulations that are coming down. And there is another podcast episode about that if you're, if you're curious more on what we're doing there in the EMEA area um, or EU area, I can't recall now. And you early, earlier mentioned, I asked you about who you're looking for, what kind of person you're looking for. And you did mention earlier that you, you really want people that are kind of okay with ambiguity or okay with a lot of change and not necessarily having a planning perspective, but a ability to, um, to handle things that change under them quite a bit. That's the kind of quality you're looking for? Well, I would say not. it's, it's not that it's uh, not an ability to, to plan. I think that's important, but I think it's also uh, being flexible in how you're, uh, if your plans don't work out, you're okay going to, uh, to, to plan B. Um, I think really the, the characteristics that make a successful member of the legal team, one is the flexibility that we talked about. I think two, and going back to the values that we we were discussing um, is this notion of curiosity. I mean, really, if you you come to Netflix, you're you're here to do some particular job function for us. But if all you want to do is do that job function, I think that's probably um, going to be somewhat limiting. And what we really are looking for is for people who are very curious about the business in general and can you know reconceptualize perhaps the way in which they've done things. Um, and so it's really that curiosity coupled with the flexibility that um, can make someone very successful here. And I think the, the last one is really about courage. And that goes back to being 
um, comfortable in an area of ambiguity, Mm -hmm. comfortable in uh, assessing risk and making decisions around risk. David, what do you personally want to be better at? I think for me, it's really about being a better leader, trying to figure out how to balance between inspiring people, helping guide them through some of the issues we've talked about around managing risk and thinking smartly about risk and being both curious and innovative. How do I do that in an effective way? Uh, The other area that I'm always constantly working on is less micromanaging, (laughs) jumping into the weeds too deep. And then I think the last one that I'm always trying to be mindful of is uh, seek first to understand. Uh, you know, make sure you're listening actively before you either jump to conclusions or jump in. Yeah, that's a hard one for me too. Yeah. <laughs> you make a conclusion before so you heard someone that's yeah. not a good conclusion. Yeah. yeah. Listen, listen more, right? Yeah. One last question for you. What are you currently watching, David? Six Underground. Ah. I am an escapist by heart in my entertainment value. I've been craving a big, just lose yourself in an action adventure. And, and uh, that does it. You can lose yourself. That's great. Yes. So, Well, David Hyman, thank you so much for joining me on We Are Netflix. Hey, thanks for having me. We Are Netflix is hosted by Lyle Troxell. He's a senior software engineer at Netflix. You can keep up with We Are Netflix on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. To learn more about careers at Netflix, go to jobs.netflix.com. <laughs>